zoom in. Welcome. <clears throat> um, we are in a series currently called Jesus, Humanity's Only Hope. And we're actually walking through the book of Luke, and that title, we're arguing, summarizes the book in some way, shape, or form. The Gospel according to Luke, we're going to be in chapter 16 today, and we're going to be looking at the whole chapter, so Lord help me, or should I say Lord help you, um, Luke 16. If you turn there with me, that would be a blessing, and again, as I always say, not just for me, but also particularly for you, because... There's going to be at least 20, maybe 25, 30 times I'm going to ask you to look at the text with me. And if you do, I'm sure you're going to glean so much more. <clears throat> and if you don't, you're going to probably feel quite convicted at the end of the message. If you don't, no pressure. <laughs> um, now, <clears throat> if you go to that next slide for me, please, Alex. Thank you. Last week, Pastor Ephraim done a fantastic job. Um, in Luke chapter 15. And <clears throat> what he did was he talked about the lost sheep, remember the lost coin, and he talked about the lost son, remember? In Luke 15. I would argue that the theme continues into chapter 16, talking about a lost job or a lost career, um, and then also a lost opportunity. Hopefully this will make sense as we continue to look through this chapter. Last week we saw a lost son, if you remember who was found, a lost coin that was found, a lost son that was found. Um, sadly, this person who's going to lose their job today, they're not going to regain it. And then also, sadly, we're going to see a lost soul in the last section of our text. So three lost items in chapter 15 that were found, but in Luke chapter 16, we're going to see the contrary. Now, the broader context of this, this particular chapter is Jesus um, trying to speak to kind of three sets of people. He's speaking to the common people. Jesus is also speaking to his disciples, um, but Jesus is also speaking <clears throat> to these religious leaders who are vigorously attacking him. And chapter 15 started off, now if you've got a paper Bible like me, it's real easy to turn back to chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, a bit harder on your phone or your tablet. Um, but in chapter 15, remember this is the beginning of last week, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, that is to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Hence, Jesus tells these parables saying, yeah, that's right, I do eat with them because these people are lost. And I'm, trying, I'm in the process of seeking and finding them. It's my job to seek and save that which is lost, right? And I'd even rescue you too, that is you religious leaders, if only you'd let me. But they won't. They resist and barricade Jesus at every opportunity. Rather than taking opportunity, they forsake their wonderful opportunity and therefore lose the blessed opportunity. Hopefully today, we can learn somewhat from their mistake. If you go to that next slide for me, Alex. So my, the, my title today for this message is Lost Opportunity? Question mark. 
We're going to see that opportunity was lost in our text, but the question mark is, is, is for me and you. And my subheading is, are you ready? You'd be like, am I ready for what? It's all right, don't worry. I'm going to ask you a bit later. And I've got three points. One, being well prepared, verse 1 to 13. Two, not being scared, verse 14 to 18. And then my third point is being unprepared, verse 19 through to 31. Being well prepared, not scared, or unprepared. Let's read, let's, let's read Luke 16 together. And by the way, listen up for financial, a financial theme that runs throughout the whole text because it's important. I'll try and highlight it as we're going through. So Luke 16, I'm reading from the ESV, starting at verse 1. He also said to the, the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and he said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Verse 3, and the manager said to himself, boy, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Verse 4, I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, you know what? Take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Verse 8, notice, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Money. Next section, right? This, that's our first section. Second section. The Pharise verse 14. The Pharisees who were lovers of what? Lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, okay, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one, one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. He who marries a woman um, divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now that looks like a random verse. You'll be like, where did that come from? Now look at our final, we'll get there. Hopefully our final section, verse 19. There was a what kind of man? <clears throat> a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores 
who desired to be fed with that which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, the rich man, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house. <clears throat> For I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced by someone, if someone should rise from the dead. <clears throat> it's a lot of text, right? So here we have two stories. I'm going to try to break it down as best I can. Two stories with a small section in the middle, like a sandwich. We've got a rich man and his accountant, and then we've got rich men who are not listening, and then we've got a story about a rich man at the very end. True? And right from the beginning of chapter 15... All the way to the end of chapter 16, Jesus is talking to common people, like I said. He's talking to his disciples, and particularly, he's speaking to these rich, wealthy, religious leaders. Jesus is like, you rich men, you're going to lose all of your money. But ultimately, you're going to lose something much, much more precious. Let me pray, 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 brief. Let me pray briefly. Lord... As Pastor Ephraim shared last week, he prayed, Lord, that we would get 10% of all that was in his heart. Lord, I pray for a bigger percentage today. That by your grace, Lord, you'd open our eyes and our hearts to this text and to the meaning of it. And Father, that we would, we would not leave this building the same way that we came in, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So lost opportunity. Have you ever looked back... <clears throat> with regret at a lost opportunity. I remember, like, I'm quite old. I'm probably one of the oldest in the congregation. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm set. <clears throat> is, that, is that Mr. Carnegie? Mr. Carnegie is probably, one of, probably the, older, the, the only man that's older than me. So I'm 56. I'm an 80s kid, and I was born in the 60s. And in an, I got married in 1990. And when I got married... We were looking to buy a house. And in them days, I can't tell you the whole story, but in them days, you could buy a three-bedroom house for £70,000. Three-bedroom, semi-detached, terrace house, £70,000. Them days, it seemed like a lot of money. Looking back now, <laughs> man's buying car for that kind of money now. 
You know what I mean? I look back and I think, boy, if only I'd known, I'd have bought two or three houses. Look back with an element of regret. Sometimes when I used to have conversations with, with my mum, she used to tell me about when she was living, when we were living in Bedford back in the 60s, when I was, like when I was born, my mum and dad bought a house. It was a five-bedroom house on four, store, four levels. It had, you know, it had a basement where you can go down and you could... 1,000 pounds for the house. They paid for the house. And then, and then four years later, when we went to Jamaica, they sold, they sold the house. I'd be like, Mom, why don't you just rent the house? You know what I mean? I mean, even though it was Bedford, that's still worth a lot of money. Be like, boy, have you ever looked back with regret? I remember I worked for London City Mission. I work in the training department. I remember one of our students one day, I noticed every time break time was a lunchtime, this guy was always on not only one, but two phones. And I'm like, Adam, why are you always on two phones? Um, he says, I'm, invest I'm a investor, and I invest in stocks and shares and crypto cryptocurrency. I was like, oh, what's all that about? So he began to explain to me. And um, at the time, I thought, that sounds like, that sounds like Mark of the Beast. I'm not interested. <laughs> at that time, one Bitcoin was worth 500 pounds. You know how much one Bitcoin is worth now? Mark's laughing. You know how much one Bitcoin is worth now? Last time I checked, 29,000 pounds. You ever look back sometimes at circumstances with regret? Have you got a pension? If you, like me, can look back sometimes with regret, <clears throat> Hopefully, we're going to learn a lesson from this accountant in this first section of our text. If you're shrewd and you take the advice of Luke chapter 16 to, and, to, and, and to use investment language, you have time now, while you're still breathing, to front run eternity. The key is to be well prepared. Let's look at our first point. Verse 1 to 13, it's all about a shrewd accountant who makes moves in view of future events. Luke 16, verse 1, it said, He also said, that's Jesus, to disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. The manager is our guy. He's the accountant. And, 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 and charges were brought to him, the rich man, right, that this man, his manager, was wasting his possessions, verse 2. And he called him and he said to him, wait a minute. He goes, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Can you see him losing his job, right? Lost career, lost job position. Remember, we talked about a lost sheep, lost coin. We talked about a lost son. Here we have the lost job, verse 3. And, and, oh, and, 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 and so the manager, he, he's going to lose his job. Question is, what's he going to do? Verse 3, it says, And the manager said to himself, Why? What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, what do I do? I'm not strong enough to dig. He's a real white-collar worker, right? He never got no dirt underneath his fingernails before in his life. He says, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Note verse 4. I've decided what to do so that... When I am removed from management, when I lose my job, people may receive me into their houses. Can you see what this accountant is doing? He's had a vision of the future, and the future's not bright. Remember back in the day, they used to say, the future's not bright, the future's orange. 
But the future's dark, the future's black for him, at least in terms of him losing his job, it's not good. So he maneuvers himself accordingly. Look at verse five. So summoning his master's debtors, right, because he's the accountant, one by one, he said to the first one, how much do you owe my master? He said, 100 measures of oil. He said to him, you know what? Take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. He cuts the client's bill in half, 50% discount for my man. Verse 7, then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. I don't know if he heard the last guy, but he might be thinking, boy, I'm going to get a 50% discount as well. Well, he wasn't, so, he wasn't so lucky. My man said to him, take your bill and write 80. From, if my math is correct, that's 20%, right? Um, it could be said that <clears throat> the accountant, actually, what he's doing here is, is, is he's not being deceitful, um, at least in this instance, possibly. Maybe all he's subtracting is his potential commission, it could be argued. We're not sure, because the text doesn't say. Verse 8, now watch, the, watch, the master comes, <laughs> and the master, notice, he commended the, the, the dishonest manager, why? For his shrewdness. He commended him, not because he was dishonest, but for his astuteness, his quick-wittedness, his perceptiveness, his calculatedness, listen to this big word, his perspicaciousness for his shrewdness. I can see the, the rich master looking at this accountant and saying, boy, you know what? <laughs> You're a smart guy, you know. I'm not surprised you were hired, but you know what? You're fired. <laughs> and the rich manager isn't the only one who commends this forward-thinking accountant. Look at verse 8 or the second part of verse 8, 8b, right? Jesus says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of the unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, because it will fail... Make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so when it fails, they may receive you into no eternal dwellings. Now, Jesus isn't commending dishonesty, but he's commending the use of resources in view of eternity, in view of the future. Can you see it? In view of his lost job, can you see that, according to our first point, that this accountant was well-prepared? Pastor Ephraim preached a great sermon on this very um, chapter a number of years ago um, when we did a series on stewardship. Um, and he applied it to the careful and thoughtful use of money. Um, that was back in February 2018. And you can look it up on sermon.net. Um, <clears throat> great message. Applied slightly differently. Obviously, I'm not just dealing with this text. I'm trying to deal with the whole chapter. So I'm trying to deal with the rest of the chapter in light of what we've just seen, right? So in similar fashion to this shrewd manager, continuing in verse 10 of our text, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, Sorry, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And verse 12, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, 
Who will give you that which is your own? Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. Not to the same commitment with regards to both. This account in verse 1 to 13, recognizing that he was going to lose his job, was well prepared. He was shrewd. How prepared are you with regards to the future? Spiritually speaking. Eternally speaking. Not talking about a pension, although that's important. Not talking about health insurance, although you chat to, us, chat to, chat to Pastor E. Health insurance and, and Sister Judith. Health insurance, health insurance is important. But I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about... Your SATs, or if you're, I don't know, in, in year 10, year 11, getting ready to take your GCSEs. I'm not talking about a degree or a PhD, although, although those things are important. What I'm talking about is your eternal pension plan, your eternity health policy. We're talking about your spiritual qualifications. Have you done your research? Have you done, have you done your research into... Life after death. And, and if you have, are you invested in that future? Not short, medium, and long term, but longer term, beyond the future. See, the good news is, while you're alive, while you're alive, you have time. I look back and I think, oh, why didn't I take that opportunity? Don't miss this opportunity because this will be the greatest regret of your whole life <clears throat> hopefully that has left you feeling concerned and maybe even a little bit scared okay well let's look at a group of individuals who are not well prepared and who are definitely not scared a second point, verse 14 to 18, these hard-hearted and stiff-necked religious leaders. Look with me now at verse 14. It says, the Pharisees, who were what? Lovers of money. I mean, you read later on, the Bible says, you know what? It's not a good thing to love money, you know. We need money. And we're all going to work tomorrow, maybe some of us even later on today. You know what I mean? We need money. And the Bible doesn't say, some, some people have said money is the root of all evil. It's not true. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Right? Money itself is not evil, but the love of it. And these guys have fallen into the trap. They, imagine, they love money. And it says the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all of these things, the things that we've just talked about, verse 1 to 13, and, in, and, and, and they said, oh, wow, Jesus, we need to talk, you know, because, boy, we never really even saw things like that before, and that's not what they say. It says they heard these things and they ridiculed Jesus. You would have thought that these guys would have got the message, especially as, as Jesus, he wasn't even being direct. 
Jesus was kindly trying to reason with them, not trying to embarrass them, but rather than humbling themselves and taking the L, nah, they're too proud. These lovers of money, and we're going to see, you know, love, uh, we're going to see the energy come out of the root which is founded in that desperate love for money. That's the, this response is the fruit of that root. These, these lovers of money, they respond to Jesus' words. It says they ridiculed him. So Jesus is like, cool, all right, I'm going to take the gloves off. And look at verse 15, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You in your fancy expensive clothes, praying out loud on the street corners to be seen, acting spiritual in public, going to your politician friend merging them's house for a dinner party, quickly walking past the, the sick and the elderly, meeting up at the temple, selling sacrifices for exorbitant prices, extorting poor people, you. These things that you esteem are an abomination in the sight of God, you hypocrites. I mean, you remember, we were talking about, we've been, Jesus has been dealing with these hypocrites for about five chapters now. Instead of being well prepared or even scared so that you could be spared, you who are responsible to teach God's word, you religious, religious, religious leaders, you who are responsible to teach God's word, do you not hear God's word? It's people like you that make people don't want to come to synagogue. It's people like you that, don't want, that, that make people don't want to come to church. I'm not going to church because church is full of hypocrites. Sadly, that's partially true, isn't it? I don't have time. <clears throat> These religious leaders, they were experts in the law and the prophets. Did you see that term? The law and the prophets is a, is a common term for what? Anybody know? The Old Testament, right? Because um, the law and the prophets, the law is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Pentateuch that were written by Moses. So, the law, so Moses, the law, and the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of those other books, this is a common catch-all term for the Old Testament. Verse 16 says, The law and the prophets were until John. This is going to come back up again in a minute. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it, apart from you lot. If anything, the tax collectors and the sinners, they're forcing, they're trying to get into the kingdom. I'm the king, and I'm here declaring the kingdom, and they love it. And they're coming into the kingdom, but you lot... Not only are you not coming in, you're barricading the way in to the kingdom. The common people, prostitutes, tax collectors, especially wicked sinners, they're all responding. Responding to the good news about the forgiveness of sins. Responding to the preaching about the kingdom of God. Responding to me, says Jesus, the king of the kingdom. But you, you ridicule me. And you ridicule my kingdom and you ridicule my message. That same Old Testament that you say that you know so well, 
It does speak about God's salvation and his forgiveness, but you know what it also speaks of? It also speaks about justice and judgment. Things that you conveniently overlook, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you snakes, you reptilian sneaks. They're acting just like their father, right? The original snake in the garden. See, I'll tell you, Jesus took the gloves off, man. Verse 17, Jesus says, But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. See, the law does talk about forgiveness. It does talk about salvation, but it also talks about judgment, and it also talks about justice. You can't have one without the other, Jesus is saying. See, these men prided themselves in keeping the law, but actually, they persistently broke the law. Someone once said to arrogant sinners, you don't break the law, the law breaks you. The very Bible that you religious leaders overlook will by no means overlook you. God is going to throw the book at you. And what will be the indictment? What might be some of the, the other sins that these leaders are guilty of? Verse 18. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Jesus isn't pulling any punches, as I said. These men were regularly leaving their wives and moving in with their mistresses. And they were justifying it on the basis of their wife's unfulfilled commitments. You know, these scribes and Pharisees were divorcing their wives if they burnt the toast. You wonder why Jesus mentions verse 18? Because these hypocrites, they'd be preaching about the Bible, but they weren't obeying the Bible. See, these men, they could quote the commandments, but made no commitment to keeping them. Committing adultery is the seventh commandment. Lying is the ninth commandment. Stealing is the eighth commandment. And soon they're going to break the sixth commandment, which is what? I know Mikey knows. What's the sixth commandment? You must not murder. Remember, it's not going to be long before these rich religious leaders are going to kill Jesus. You think ridiculing is one thing. They're getting ready to. These religious men, they had a chance to be well prepared. These religious men, given their guilt, should have been scared. Jesus will show through this last section that these men were totally unprepared. Listen carefully to the language used to describe this next character in verse 19. This is... Our third section, right? There was a, what kind of man? I hope you're seeing the theme. This rich man, rich like, oh, rich like the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is just speaking to, right? Listen to the parable. He now particularly directs to them, but it does have a broader application. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, <clears throat> to be faithful to our text, 
Jesus is speaking particularly to the religious leaders, but he isn't speaking exclusively to the religious leaders. As mentioned before, there are common people present. There are the disciples who are also listening. So this is, this is going to be a warning to everyone. Would you join with me and just say everyone? everyone. Amen. This is going to be a warning to everyone, and warnings are very helpful, especially if they're heeded. <laughs> Richard Culkin, who's the pastor of Dundonald um, Church in Wimbledon, um, he tells this story. And um, <clears throat> he and a friend went on a parachute jump, right? Anybody been parachuting? Put your hand up. Anybody? <laughs> what does that say about our church? I'm not going parachute jumping neither. Don't business. And um, so he and a friend, they got, and they're putting on all this gear on, they put the stuff on, and they're sitting in there waiting for the instructor to come in. The instructor walks in, right? And the instructor, without saying a word, he walks to the whiteboard and he writes this on the whiteboard. If you go to that next slide for me, please, Alex. Instructor walks in, doesn't say a word. He just goes up to the whiteboard and he writes on the whiteboard, parachuting is potentially fatal. And then he walks out again. <laughs> and they're in there thinking. And then he walks, he walks. After a few minutes, he comes back into the room and note his opening words were, the human body is a bag of blood. That when hitting the ground at terminal velocity spreads out over an area of about 100 square yards. Now, if you're there getting ready, you're all harnessed up, you're getting ready to go in the plane and jump out the plane. Are you ready to go in the plane to jump out the plane at this point? After hearing that, Richard said, he said, from that point on, me and my friend listened very, very carefully to everything that he said. Why? Because it was a warning. And warnings are to be taken very, very seriously. Just like these words from Jesus in this last section of chapter 16. Just go to that next one for me, Alex. You know, recently, I say recently, over the past few years, um, tobacco, tobacco companies have been putting warnings on their cigarette packets, right? Warning. Smoking harms born babies. Smoke, warning, smoking causes blindness. Warning, smoking causes lung cancer. You've got this guy here, Brian. Looks good looking, got beautiful blonde hair. Died at 34. Lung cancer. Smoking causes mouth cancer. Oi. Smoking causes peripheral vascular disease, otherwise known as gangrene. Smoking causes throat cancer, heart disease, Kidney and bladder cancer. Smoking doubles your risk of stroke. How many of you know smoking kills? It's a warning. I mean, how anybody would want to smoke a cigarette after that? And I know, obviously, some struggle. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's, a, it's an addiction. You could. Obviously, they put, that, they put that on there because they don't want to get indicted, right? So if something happens to you, you can't blame them because they're like, oh, we warned you. Warnings. They're on the bottle of, of a bleach, you know, a bottle of, on the back of a bleach bottle. Don't, do not drink. Warning. 
verse 19 to 31 of Luke 16 comes as a health warning, but it's an eternal health warning. These in our text, it's too late for them now. They've been dead for 2,000 years. Hopefully, we are, are listening carefully as this now relates to us. And you see how it relates to us when we get to verse 22. But picking up in verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feast sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with that which fell from the rich man's table. Now that should be a throwback. You should hear an echo to last week, the prodigal son, who desired to be fed with that which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. Now, I've heard many a preacher and theologian say that this is a parable and, and, and that it's not literal. I don't agree with that. I'm happy to stand corrected and maybe there's learning that I don't have. But at this point in time, I don't see this as a parable I see this as literal. A parable, Jesus would say, a farmer went to sow seed. A parable, Jesus would say, there were five wise and there were five foolish virgins. There was a lost sheep, a lost coin. There was a, a, a lost son. And as we saw earlier, in this very chapter, we saw a rich man firing his accountant. All parables. But here, I'm going to argue that this is different. In parable, Jesus describes a person, like I just did, but never names them. Here we have Lazarus, we have Abraham, we have Moses and the prophets, and all the prophets got names. Which, as we said earlier, is a reference, obviously, to the Old Testament, the Bible. In my mind, this stuff's all literal. We have people that I just mentioned, but we also have places. We've got this place called Hades. What's another name for Hades? Hell. There are four words in the Bible, in the New Testament, in, in the Bible for hell. Sheol, right, which is the, which is the grave. There's, um, help me, Gehenna, right, which described the dump outside of Jerusalem where everything, it was a perpetual fire that burned, and that's where they disposed of the rubbish. It perpetually burned. That's another name for hell that the Bible describes. But there's also um, another place in Peter where there's another word used for hell that's only used one time in the whole Bible. Anybody know what that is? It begins with T. Tartarus. Ain't got, wait, yeah, we definitely ain't got time. But the fourth one is here, four, three, four, is Hades. And it's a term for hell. It's a... a is, is, is hell a figment of a person's imagination? Surely hell is a real place. It's one of the reasons why we're all sitting in here. I could be doing much better things with my Sunday morning slash afternoon for the past 30 years of my life. I got saved in 1989. 
I've got, there are other things that I could be giving my attention to, but I'm here because I believe that hell is a real place. Otherwise, Jesus is a liar because he speaks about hell more than anybody else in the New Testament. True? This is the place that Jesus, Peter, I would argue, is going to go and preach to the spirits in prison during the three days prior to his resurrection in 1 Peter 3, verse 19 and 20. This otherwise known, Hades, otherwise known as the realm of the dead. And notice it has two compartments, doesn't it? The place where Abraham is, a safe space, like by, by true definition, <laughs> and the place where the rich man is in torment. I would argue that this is a window into the afterlife. And in verse 19, the rich man dressed in purple. Purple, uh, if you're not, not aware, is a very costly material because it costs a lot to dye material purple. Think, it also says fine linen, right, in the text. Think Louis Vuitton. Think Chanel. Think Petit Philippe, this is the levels. Expensive restaurants, five, like Michelin five star. This guy is top 1%. In contrast to this rich man was Lazarus, an extremely poor man who sat at the gate of the rich man's house. This rich man would see Lazarus every time he went out of his house in his Bentley and every time he came into his house he would see Lazarus. The rich man is, in the text, is never accused of abusing Lazarus, but he's neither congratulated for helping Lazarus. The best Lazarus experience was ripping open the black rubbish bags that were filled with the leftovers from the rich man's table. Lazarus's only comfort was the dogs licking his painful open infected wounds, which actually was an act of compassion. Um, it is said, quote, the dogs would have promoted healing by licking Lazarus's wounds since dog saliva contains the antibacterial enzyme called lysozyme. And stimulating the skin around the wounds through licking would increase healing blood flow to the area. Dogs often lick their own wounds to encourage them to heal, by licking Lazarus's wounds, these dogs were showing him compassion. Now, I'm not sure I want any dog licking my wounds, but hey, this is the best a man can get in Lazarus's condition. Now, eventually, both men go the way of all the world. Both men go the way of all the earth. What happened to them? They died. Their hearts stopped beating for the last time. They closed their, they closed their eyes in this life and they opened their eyes in the next. Picture yourself when you close your eyes for the last time in your coffin. Because the, how many of you know that the time is coming? Close your, picture yourself in your own coffin. Jesus says, Although you're physically dead, you're going to be spiritually conscious. Your body may be lifeless, but your soul will be very much alive, if not more alert 
and acutely aware of its surroundings. And I say that because there still seems to be access to the senses in this place called hell. At least sight, sound, taste, and touch. Look at verse 22. It says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Can you see Lazarus, can you see Lazarus is now, he's flying first class angelic escort. The rich man also died and was buried. No executive lounge for him. Verse 23, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his what? His, oh, so he can see in this realm. And he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side so he could see. Verse 24, and he called out, Father Abraham. That means he could speak. And we're going to hear and we're going to see in a minute that he can also hear. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Which means he can taste. This place is hard to define with absolute clarity, but there are a number of descriptions used throughout the scriptures to define hell. It's a place of unquenchable fire, it's outer darkness. It's eternal separation from God. It's eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I mean, just for that reason, I wouldn't want to go there. Because he's there. He's, he's going to be there. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I wish I could fully describe what that means, but I don't have time. It's a place of eternal... Let me just say, you know, weeping is different from crying. Weeping is when you're all cried out. There ain't no more tears when you're weeping. A gnashing of teeth is, is the grinding of teeth. It's bruxism. It's when you're in some, you know when, when you're in, you, know, you ever see when you're in pain and, 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 and somebody puts a bit in your mouth so you can bite on while they, um, Rambo, Rambo, when he, was, he got shot and, and, and he put a bit and he had to dig the bullet out with a hot knife and he put the bit in that's gnashing of teeth. Etern Another term is eternal punishment or, this, I feel like this is the worst one, the lake of fire. Now think about that. We as a church often used to go to Austria. Um, um, shout out the Austria crew. Um, I nearly said we're trying to plan to maybe go to Austria next year, but I shouldn't say things like that because it might not manifest, but... We can pray nonetheless. Um, we used to go to Austria. I think, gosh, how many times have we been to Austria? Calvary Chapel on a castle. It's on the side of a mountain and um, overlooking a lake with the Alps in the background. And we, had a pri we have a private dock where we'd go down. It's, it's not, by the way, it's not Ecclesia that own the castle. <laughs> we wish we did. We're part of a bigger network. And, um, and, and the network owns the castle. And anyway, we'd go, and literally on this dock, you can jump off into the lake and swim in the lake. It's lovely, especially on a hot day. It's cool and refreshing, isn't it, Harry? Imagine swimming in a lake of fire. Descriptions that are terrifying, that hopefully ought to cause us to fear and to be scared. Um, Alex, would you go to that next slide for me, brother? Revelation 21 says, <clears throat> remember, this is talking about 
a future that we want to avoid. Revelation 21 says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers like these scribes and Pharisees, oh, but not just them, the sexually immoral, that is individuals committing adultery, that's individuals committing sexual sin prior to getting married, which is fornication, right? Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. How I many of you know there are two deaths? The first death is, is just one thing. There's another one that comes after the physical death, which is what we're trying to avoid. Again, picture yourself when you close your eyes for the last time in your coffin. You know, as a minister, I've had, um, I've had to do dozens of funerals. I, I always have this nervous moment when I'm conducting a funeral. What if I'm standing there and I'm speaking to the congregation and all of a sudden the, the, the body comes alive? I don't know why. I always, just this mad thought. Maybe it's because I believe in Jesus and the resurrection and I know, you know, resurrection from the dead is a reality. Thankfully, it's, ne thankfully it's never happened. And, but I've always had this... And I think about someone sitting up in their coffin, especially, obviously, if it's an open coffin. You don't want to hear somebody banging on a coffin, right? You'd be like, Pastor Rob, man, you watch too many horror films. Um, but, but, but this is exactly what happens. You and I, we will come back to life in order to confront the second death. See? We will come back to life. It's just that the person comes back to life and it's just an invisible experience. It's a bit like this. Would you go to that next slide for me, Alex? Some of you might be familiar with this picture. This picture is taken from the most, um, what do you call it? Not the, the, not the most popular. But just when, some, when, when something, the best-selling track ever created. It's called This Was Your Life. Um, just go to the next one for me, please. This was your life. And this is, if you can see it, this is the angel, and here's the individual. Here's me, here's you, at a certain point in our life when everything that we've done is going to be exposed. Everything that we've done in our life, publicly and privately, and we're going to have to give an account for everything that we've done. Just go to the next slide for me, Alex, please. And in this track, it's a story about, about a guy who, like the guy in our text, rich, doing well, ain't no, in need of nothing, got more than enough. He's out there smoking his pipe, having a drink. You know what I'm saying? He's got his eyes closed thinking about all that he's achieved. <sighs> Looking at his nice car. This is, he's got a TV in the background. I think when they made these tracks, TV, TVs were quite a new phenomenon. <laughs> Man's got a TV, you know. <laughs> go to the next slide for me, Alex. But, but, but actually, go back a minute. Let me just read this bit at the bottom. It says, Luke chapter 12, we've been there because we're in Luke chapter 16. It says, I would, I would say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine, take thine ease. Now, it, quotes from, it quotes from the King James. You'd be like, why am I dancing? I don't know why I'm dancing, but this is how, like, when you got money, this is how, this, eh, yo, hey, uh, hey. <laughs> it, it, was, it was created in the 70s, early 70s. See, and they used the King James, notice, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
everything is crisp, everything's set. Right? Go to the next slide. But Luke 12 goes on and says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul may be required of thee. And then it goes and it says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And if he hasn't got things right, if he's not well prepared, he's obviously not scared. When he stands before God, it's going to be a different matter. Man ain't going to be... Go to the next slide for me. Because he's going to be brought back from the dead. I'm going to be brought back from the dead. You're going to be brought back from the dead. And look, because he wasn't well prepared, sadly, and he wasn't scared at the right time, now he's shook. Like, now you're scared, brother? This seems like a lost opportunity to me. Shocked. What's happening? Wait, I'm dead. It's, all, it's supposed to be all over. See, you and I, we have a date with destiny. Did you know the statistics still say 10 out of 10 die? I've attended and even conducted, as I said, many funerals. Last year, my sister died of Huntington's disease. And while I was preparing for my sister's funeral, talking to her husband, his name's Patrick, talking to him, I'm like, Patrick, because she, before she died, she says, I want Robert to preach, I want my brother to preach at my funeral. What a blessing. And so we're organizing, and we knew she was going to die because she'd been sick for a long time. So I'm there chatting to, to Patrick, saying, okay, how are we going to do this? Where's the funeral going to be? Organizing things. So a couple of days later, I'm texting Patrick, and I'm like, how come Patrick's not responding to me? Send him a message. He ain't messaging. He not calling. I call him, no answer. Six days later, I get a phone call from his pastor saying to me, Robert, are you sitting down? I said, Pastor, what do you mean? He says, Robert, Patrick is dead. Your sister died, like on the Tuesday. Patrick died the following Wednesday. He died of a heart attack. I had to do a double funeral. I've never been to one in my life. <laughs> I hope I never have to do another one in my life. Two caskets, my sister and my brother-in-law. Then, in June, my mum passed away. And I had the privilege, along with my brother Richie, to lead the funeral, and then I preached at the funeral. What an honour that was. My mum, absolutely. If you ever met her and you know her, Mr. Carnegie Eli, absolute, absolute legend. And I know it's my mum in it, so I'm going to say that. Legend, but she genuinely was. And <clears throat> my sister Joan, she was sick. We knew that she was going to die. But her husband, Patrick, it was such a shock. It was an absolute surprise. And my mum, she was completely fighting fit. The day, a couple of days before I saw my mum, if some of you, my mum was 88 years old, fit as a fiddle, mine as sharp as a tack. And then literally overnight, she died. Suddenly. Um, thankfully for all three of them, all three of them had repented of their sins and had received forgiveness for their sins. And based on Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for their sins, they were all ready. They were ready when the time came. Question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Let me show you an example of someone who thought they were ready, but not according to Jesus. I know time's going up, hopefully five more minutes. 
Let me show you a picture of someone who thought they were ready, but they were far from ready. So if you're into hip-hop or not, you probably heard about Biggie Smalls or the Notorious B.I.G., Biggie for short. Biggie done an album called Ready to Die. I'm not sure that was a good title for that album, Biggie. Because by your lyrics, I don't think you were ready to die. Go to that next slide for me, please, Alan. Now, you probably can't see it from there, so I'm going to read it for you, right? This is from a track on the album called Suicidal Thoughts. And I've obviously had to bleep out some of it. It says, when I die, bleep, I want to go to hell. Because I'm a piece of bleep. It ain't hard to tell, or bleep tell. It don't make sense going to heaven with the goody-goodies dressed in white. I like black tims and black hoodies. God will have me on some real strict bleep. No sleeping all day, no getting my bleep bleep. Hanging with the goody-goodies, lounging in paradise, bleep bleep bleep. I want to tote guns and shoot dice. All my life I've been considered as a... And this is, this is heartbreaking. All my life I've been considered as the worst, lying to my mother, even stealing at her purse. Crime after crime, from drugs to extortion. I know my mother wished she had a, she got a bleep abortion. Biggie. Can you see his self-confessed um, breaking of God's commandments? The eighth commandment. I mean, he's confessing that he's a thief. But sadly, <clears throat> Biggie wasn't ready to die. And I'm sure he knows better now. But for him... It's too late. He wasn't well prepared. <laughs> he was far from scared. Don't be unprepared. And <clears throat> Biggie wasn't ready to die. But you know, for, for you, for me, it's not too late. You know, I couldn't help but take the opportunity to share with you a contrasting hip-hop album. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Go to that next slide for me, Alex, please. Um, this is a an artist called Jahazel. Um, some of you may have known or may even have heard of Jahazel. We know Jahazel well, um, and we used to do music together for years and years. Um, Jahazel's not in a good place right now, but this album is one of my favorite albums of all time. On this album is one of my favorite songs of all time. It's called Father, I Turn to You. And even this morning in tears, I was praying for him hoping that he would listen to the songs, listen to the lyrics of his own song, and that, father, that, and that he would turn back to the Father. And you know what? I'm confident that um, Philippians 1 verse 6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And the question often we ask is, you know, is that person saved? I'm not sure. Did they lose their salvation? That's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, did God begin a work? Because if he did, he will finish, he will complete that work. You know what I'm saying? And um, you think about Solomon. You think anyone went as haywire as Solomon? 700, 300 wives and 700 concubines. Everything God told him not to do, he did. Amassed chariots to himself, bought horses and from Egypt and, and all these foreign women. He ended up, you know, Solomon ended up worshipping idols. I'm not sure if you read that. Solomon. We'd like to think he eventually came to his senses. Like the prodigal son, I'm praying that Jahaziel 
like the prodigal son, would come to his senses and come back to the Lord. Amen. But notice the contrast. Biggie's album was called Ready to Die. In contrast, Jahaz's album was Ready to Live. Ready to Live. Ready to Live. Getting back to our story, let's finish. Um, verse 24, the rich man. The rich man, verse 24, he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame, verse 25. But Abraham said, you know what? I'm sorry. He says, he says remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in hit and in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here. You know, Lazarus, his name, his name in Hebrew is Eliezer. And Eliezer means God has helped. There's nothing in the text that helps us to see, oh, when did Lazarus get saved? He's in heaven or he's in paradise or he's with Father Abraham, who, the saved. You know, how did he, we're not sure. But his name means God has helped. The rich man, he isn't lost because he's rich. And Lazarus isn't saved because he's poor. Lazarus is saved because God has helped him. Question is, whether you're rich or poor, that's not the issue. The issue is, are you saved? Have you put your trust in Jesus? His death on the cross was not a joke. He didn't, it's not just a fairy tale. When Jesus went to the cross, he did it for a purpose and he did it in order to save us from our sins. Are you Lazarus? Are you the individual that can say, God has helped me. He's saved me. He's rescued me. See, do you need God's help? The Bible says, by grace we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 25. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things. And Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Verse 27, and he said, then I beg you, Father, please, if, if you can't help me, send, send, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may do what? That he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. People in hell are evangelistic. He now realizes that his riches can't help him. He can see now he needed the gospel, but it's too late. While he was alive, he was concerned with other things. What he thought at the time were important things, someone once said, failure is being successful in things that don't matter. Failure is being successful in things that don't matter. Can you also see that people in hell are completely conscious of loved ones on earth? This is terrifying. Verse 29, but Abraham said, look, we can't go to them. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Remember, what was that, uh, what was that synonymous with? What is Moses and the prophets? Oh, it, before it was the law and the prophets. Now it's the Old Testament. Guess what? It's Abraham says, they got the Bible. Let them read the Bible. 
They've got people that are talking to them about God. Let them listen. See? They've got the Old Testament. They've got the... I have to ask the question, isn't it? Do you have a Bible? It's like, for 21 years of my life, we had multiple Bibles in my house. They just sat on the shelf collecting dust. Maybe the, maybe the most I saw is... Do you, have a, do you have access to the words of life? And have you potentially, possibly, been neglecting it? And if you pick it up and you read it, I mean, this is my testimony, you know. I didn't realize this book was so special. And the fact that it, I mean... We are doing now what I'm encouraging you to do. Did you even know this stuff was in the Bible? And this is just one chapter amongst 1,183 chapters in the Bible. I'd be like, and ultimately, you know what this Bible actually points to? If I could summarize the whole Bible, it's all about Jesus. Now, you might hear that and think, hmm, really? <laughs> really? If only... If only I had time. Let me give you a verse from Luke chapter 24 that argues that very same point. Um, Alex, could you go to that slide for me, please? Listen to Luke chapter 24, and this is Jesus speaking, right? Then he said to them, Jesus, these are my words that I spoke to you. Now, he's walking on a road called Emmaus with two guys who believed in Jesus, but they saw him crucified, and they thought, he's dead, it's all over, there's no hope, we're doomed. Jesus he says, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, alive. They don't realize it's him. That everything, notice, everything written about me where? Oh, the law of, that's the same phrase that we just read. In the law of Moses, notice, everything written about who? About Jesus. He says, everything that's written about me in the Old Testament and... Law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms, Old Testament, must be fulfilled. And here I am fulfilling it. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that's what we need. That's what we've been doing today. We've been opening the scriptures in the hope that God will open our mind as we expose ourselves. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to everybody, to all nations. Verse 30, and he said... No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if, if they do not hear the Bible, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So who are we in this story? Are we Lazarus? Well, if you're Lazarus, I take it for granted that you're a Christian, right? You're saved. And if anything happens, you're ready, right? Only because of Jesus, not because you're a good person, right? The rich man, well... None of us can identify with him because he's dead, right? But we're still alive. How about the brothers? I think that's a good one. The brothers are still alive, says the rich man, right? But they're not yet converted. If you're here today and you're one of those five brothers, I implore you, you still have time. Don't pass up on this investment opportunity, What will it take to convince you? 
Hopefully you have a Bible. If not, we can give you one. You also have the testimony of Jesus and the fact that he rose from the dead. Well, what can I say? I believe it. Last slide, please, Alex. Thank you. So I want to be well prepared because this stuff leaves me feeling scared. And when my time comes, I don't want to be found unprepared. How about you? What would it look like if you really believed in the coming judgment? How would this truth about the future affect your thinking in the present? The shrewd manager clearly understood that there was coming a reckoning that he was not prepared for, so he acted swiftly. How will you react? How will you respond? You will have to stand before God and give an account. Think about your death day. We always talk about our birthday and celebrate it. Think about, you know, the Bible says it's better to be at a funeral than a wedding or a party. Because at a party, everyone's, you're getting drunk and you're listening to music. Nice. But that don't help you. You go to a funeral, you're like, raw. That's going to be me one day, raw. Think about your death day. Because we often think about our birthday. We get excited when it's coming. But (laughs) think about your death day because it is coming. For some, that day will either be a sunrise or a sunset. I was hoping that I was going to do this song with Pastor E, but he bailed on me. No, he's actually preaching at another church. So I can't do the song, but I'm going to do a little a cappella. Oh my gosh, is that the time? I thought Bertram, I was sitting there thinking, Bertram, you're so long. (laughs) I'm a proper hypocrite. Is he in here? I don't know. He's he's probably making sandwiches round about. You're laughing because you're just thinking the same thing too. (laughs) So I could. I could do it. I could. <laughs> Pastor B. Yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir. Um, shall I do this a cappella or you, you lot done? You, uh, are you failing? You've fallen asleep on me. This song here is um, it's called Sunrise, Sunset. And like I said, I'm not going to do it with no music. I'm just going to do it a cappella. And the chorus goes, one man's sunrise is another man's sunset. One man's sunrise is another man's sunset. It's no joke when you stand before the king. No, it's no joke when you're standing on your own when you stand before the white throne. It's no joke that God said, it's no joke that God's word, yeah, why he wrote that, truth. Christ spoke that, son. Why you smoke that, you know that. Leads to a trap. Prodigals, please check the roadmap and return like a fallback. Sin's burden like a pack on your back and the devil's got you chasing. Things that you don't lack, tortured, got you in the back, in the pitch black. Hung, drawn and quartered on the rack, he is so cracked. Bow before the king, fellowship with him, yo, it's major. You touch his ring, it will change you. He'll protect you from the danger, grace plus favour, God reaching out to the stranger. Hear the talk from the clock with every tick getting closer, the toaster will silence the boaster. Every woman, every man will be filled with relief or regret when faced with the sunset. One man's sunrise is another man's sunset. One man's sunrise is another man's sunset. We're well aware of the fate of those in hell burning. So, so we tend to talk a lot about Jesus and him returning. Many scoff and mock Christ without learning, undiscerning, won't change, no turning. But till he comes as his sons, we're peacemaking, communion taking, wine sipping and bread breaking. The fact that he ain't come back is demonstrating that he's gracious, loving, patient and painstaking, gentle like a lamb. Shh. 
No noise making, but it's coming like a thief in the night, house breaking. There'll be two in the field, two in the house, conversating. And one of each, he'll be taking, matchmaking. The word of God renewed my mind, changed my paradigm. I used to love the world, but over time, he switched my valentine. You're sipping poison wine. Sit down there drinking turpentine. Sinner make you blind. I pray this prick you like a porcupine. Yo, Jesus did my time on the cross, he paid the fine. Although I'm the one that did the crime. Jesus cleansed me from my grime. Cotton cycle number nine. And then he hung me on the washing line. Gee, even, even though you're wrong, he can make you right today. The promise of a brighter day. Just give him the right away. He can do it right away. It will be like night and day. And when he returns, you fly away to his heavenly hideaway. One man's sunrise is another man's sunset. It's no joke when you stand before the king. No, no, it's no joke when you're standing on your own, when you stand before the white throne. Lord, please would you help us to understand the seriousness of this warning in Luke chapter 16. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? A man that can have family, friends, food, finance, fitness, but ultimately, Lord, none of that matters. It doesn't matter how, sex, how successful we are. It doesn't matter how rich or how poor we are, Lord. We all have one foot in the grave. Help us, I pray, to be aware of this and to heed the warning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If, if you want one of those tracks, I've got a few of them. If you want one, you want to look at them. Let's see how it ends. It was actually a good ending in the, tra in the track. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.